right, thank you. Our first speaker, Brother Suyo, has been crossing the country, and uh, he leaves Sunday evening going back to France, and we're very thankful he could work us in his schedule, and uh, we're delighted you could be with us, Brother Jean-Claude, you come and set forth the gospel of God's grace to us. Good evening to you. It is a joy to be here. Um, I wrote to Pastor Jim uh, several months, well, weeks now ago, and uh, saying that I would be in the area uh, last weekend, and he said, can you stay another week? And he didn't have to uh, twist my arm too bad to do that. It's a joy. And once again, I need to bring uh, to you the greetings from my wife. I was fast asleep, I guess, by now, but uh, uh, we were in contact earlier on, and she said, uh, you lucky one. I don't know if the word lucky is the right one, but uh, uh, she wishes she could be here, uh, especially in Almont. This evening, I would like to invite you to turn to the Gospel according to John, chapter 6, and we'll read the last few verses of this chapter John 6 and we'll start reading at verse 67 then Jesus said to the twelve do you also want to go away then Simon Peter answered him Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Now this passage, I'm not naive enough to think that I'm the first one to preach to you from it. And uh, I know that many, you have probably heard many messages, you've read it, and probably studied this chapter, uh, this passage in particular. And uh, a chapter which is full of riches, a passage here, at the end of it, uh, end of this chapter, which is uh, a great passage and just reading it, uh, you realize that it is impossible in the time we have to uh, get everything out of it. But it is a passage which bears coming to time and time again. And I would suggest that if you feel that you know this passage, well, maybe this is a time to listen to it even more. Uh, so often we get into a routine about the word of God oh I know it but it is a word of God my friends and we need to come to it as a, uh, a word which is ever young ever new ever powerful and in this chapter we have of course the uh, multiplication of bread 
to this great crowd and uh, Jesus uh, multiplies the bread as a sign to who he is and what he's come to do and then you will remember how the people uh, want to make him king uh, so he withdraws and then he crosses the lake again comes back to Capernaum and the multitude not seeing him anymore on the farther side the eastern side crosses the lake uh, trying, um, looking for him and they, uh, they find him and when they come to him he starts teaching them again uh, he teaches them about the truth that is in him and the error that is in them the uh, unbelief that, has, uh, that is gripping them and as a result of this teaching beautiful teaching deep and yet so clear many people separate themselves from Christ these people who are uh, called in this passage disciples so people have followed him they turn away from him and Jesus here at this point turns to we read the twelve and he asks a question he receives an answer and then he declares what is the work of God and uh, before we get into the text I would like to underline a few things which we find in our passage as a as an introduction and the first thing I want to underline is how bad how a mediocre evangelist or preacher Jesus is now of course you will have realized that I'm speaking uh, as a religious man here uh, but you see the man here and try to uh, let's try to see the situation he has a multitude of people a great crowd and these people are ripe they're mesmerized by him uh, the day before or maybe the day before that many of them crossed the lake now I don't know how much it would have cost but probably quite, quite a price um, those who could afford it went actually all around the top of the lake in order to follow Jesus and not to uh, just to, to be taught to hear him speak now you try to get a crowd to hear somebody speak today and that's quite a job so these people but these people are so mesmerized by what he says to a point that actually they forget about eating and he com comes the evening and Jesus says well wh what shall we do with them and uh, these people are uh, of course they, they eat the bread and the fishes and they want to make him king surely this is this is wonderful the, the work of the kingdom of God will be able to start here in Palestine and from there touch the whole world I mean this is really something wonderful and uh, we'll bring in all the experts to tell us how to market the whole thing but this is without counting about Jesus who goes away and he, he goes to the other side of the lake and when these people come to him again say Lord how did you come over then he, start, he starts teaching them what they qualify as hard things a very very poor evangelist very poor preacher doesn't he, I mean, doesn't he realize that, uh, doesn't he realize that this is not the way to draw a crowd and keep, to keep a crowd 
No, it doesn't. Uh, you know, he says these hard things and uh, people start to go away. Well, what is he going to do? Is he going to run after them and say, hang on, we need to talk some more about it. We, we need to understand each other, come to consensus, uh, whatever. No, not at all. He's, the people go, he will nail the, the, the top of the coffin saying, uh, actually telling them. Look in verse 37, for instance. Um, at the end of verse 37 all the, well, all that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I, I will in no means cast out you see this means really that you can't come to me uh, the Father has to draw, draw you verse 44 look no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day uh, now there's one thing which, if you want to draw a crowd, you must not teach that, that people can't come, but can uh, exercise their free will, can decide, can do something. And here Jesus is teaching that. He is really, um, as we would say in, in, in French, he will just go further, the, the extra mile, in doing something wrong, in teaching this. I mean, what a poor evangelist. Uh, has nobody told him that this is not the way to do it? I mean, why is he so, uh, so attached to, 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 to this, this message? Why can't he kind of, you know, uh, kind of file a little bit these, uh, these birds there? Um, this is really uh, poor, uh, poor professionalism. How does he want to... I mean, it's not surprising that when, you know, when he died, uh, after when he went to heaven, there was only 120 in the uh, upper room. Um, really not at all. Well, Jesus doesn't even stop there. Look at verse, verses 64, 65. But there are some of you, he says, who do not believe. Well, that is really going far, isn't it? And verse 65, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless... It had been granted to him by the Father. Well, that's just no way to, uh, to, te- to talk to a crowd. No way at all. So you see, we have this Jesus here, who is a very, very poor evangelist, very poor preacher. How can you really do a work with him? Another thing to underline is the message of Jesus, and obviously these things go together. Here, uh, in, in chapter 6 there's a lot but basically when he teaches that crowd in Capernaum he says two things he teaches them two things the first thing is that God is absolutely sovereign no one can come to me unless the Father draws him and of course um, that, in, that implies that he draws whoever he wants and if not everybody comes is not drawn everybody. That is quite clear. And that is not something which is very popular today. It was not popular then, and it will not be popular tomorrow if there is a tomorrow. Never, ever. And it's not a cultural thing. I travel enough to see that everywhere. And it's not surprising. Uh, So, God is totally sovereign in the salvation which he accomplishes in Christ verses 32-33 
And Jesus said unto them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So what, what Jesus is saying is that God does something irrespective of whatever we like, we want, or we don't like, we don't want. He acts as he wants. The way he, he does what he wants, how he wants it, with whoever he wants it. And there is none, says Daniel, who can say to him, what are you doing? Legitimately, many, many people say that, but uh, legitimately no one can say that. So, God is totally sovereign. And I'm wondering if uh, often, even though we say that regularly, we forget that. The second truth which Jesus teaches here, and obviously these two go together, is the total inability of man. And this is why he just the, the, the people leave him. Man, you, me, by nature, anybody in this earth cannot do anything for salvation. We can do plenty of things, but not for salvation. We can try to save ourselves. It's not been working too good, has it? Well, in my case anyway. If you save through your efforts, maybe we need to talk some about But, you see, these two truths go together, and together they are the gospel, the good news. Because they meet in Christ. Now, you overemphasize, or you, you keep just one side, like uh, the inability of man, that there's despair. And we need a bit more despair in the church today. There are some people uh, who come through the doors and they're too comfortable in places of worship. No, there needs to be a despair. Because if there's no despair, there's no need of Christ. And it's saying, Oh God, you've sent your son, but that is really a waste. I can do pretty good myself. So you see, Jesus cannot tone down this. You cannot come. But he cannot tone down the other side either. Because there's no good news without that. There's no saviour. But there is a saviour. And this is Jesus himself. So, Jesus is a bad evangelist. Jesus is a bad preacher. By today's standards, or by men's standards. Because he is a saviour. And he cannot tone down that without destroying the whole message. The whole good news of salvation. As I said... There's no gospel without these two truths, particularly in that passage here. Another thing I want to underline as well, and um, this is just to, to, to start our thoughts and, it, and, and our, our, our worship, I would say, to realize uh, such a great God. Um, the other thing I want to underline is that Jesus alone saves. Now, many religious men and I'm talking about men, not, not the quirks and not, not the, 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 the wrong ones, but religious men who are sincerely wrong, but sincere, many of them will come into all kinds of compromises for one basic reason. They want to build something. Now, they may do it sincerely, 
I mean, many people don't do it sincerely. They just want to build their own glory and so on. But some people want to, and to build something. And you know, in order to build an empire, in order to build a church, you need bricks. You need people. You need the multitudes. And therefore, you've got to compromise. There are certain things you can't say. And if you hold to just preaching the word of God as it is in that book, uh, as it challenges you as you prepare yourself, uh, then you're not going to attract people. Or, on the contrary, people will turn away. But no, Jesus is different. He builds his church, but he builds his church on the truth. And he does it on his own. Isaiah 63 is the only one to uh, tread the wine press of the wrath of God. Not only is he the only one, but he must be the only one. Because our sin is in that, in that trough. So, he must be the only one. And when people are offended by the truth, even Jesus cannot change that. So, why should we think that we can? So, in a sense, that's a safeguard, isn't it? Sometimes you, you may wonder, um, I, I go out and talk to people, or I'm a, a, at work and I talk to people, but I, I'm, I'm kind of bashful because I, I can't speak properly. I don't know what to say exactly. Well, just follow Jesus. He cannot change the message. That which you have heard and seen, pass on to others. That's quite simple, isn't it? Well, Apart from our sin, it would be very simple, but sometimes we want to get in the way. So, Jesus cannot retain these people. The truth has offended them. He cannot do uh, away with the truth. He has, because without the truth, my friends, there is no salvation. No one can be saved. So, Jesus has to uh, stay on the truth. And he is the only one who can do the work. No one can save with Jesus. You know, the little percent one wants to add, and maybe a half percent, or whatever it is. No, that is not possible. Why? Look at verse 27. Especially at the end of the, the verse. Well, let's read the verse. Do not labor for the food which perishes, which really what they were doing, running after him, but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you. It's not, he's not going, going to give you a percentage of it, a proportion. No, he will give it to you. Why? Because God the Father has set his seal on him. He is the Savior, there's nobody else. And he's not a half-Savior. He's the one announced from everlasting. So, Jesus alone saves. Let's quit trying to help Jesus. Another thing to underline, and, and uh, this, is, this is things we find here, it is that Jesus is a man. Now, we, maybe we're too familiar with this to be struck by the, by the thing. Now, sure, he's God, he's perfectly God. As many, uh, as all the miracles he's done uh, as pro uh, have proved, uh, and the day before, he had a, a mighty miracle. And he's talking to people who are still digesting the miracle. He's the Lord of glory. But he's also 
a true man. Everything that makes our status as human beings is in him, but not touched by sin. This is uh, a very fundamental thing to, to realize. And as a man, Jesus has human reactions. They're not weaknesses like they would be with us, but they are just the characteristic of humanity. For instance, you'll remember uh, after a, a very, very tiring and grueling day, he gets in the boat and even in the middle of a storm, he falls asleep. Well, that's not because he's weak, it's because he's a man. Like at night, every, every one of us uh, will go to, to sleep and if we can't sleep, there's something wrong with us. So, he's, um, he's a man. And uh, we remember in particular the agony in the garden. Now, he's faced, not, well, he's faced with the, uh, the terrible pain of the nails and so on, but he's faced with something he's never known, which is being separated from the Father. Now, his flesh kind of retreats from that. Oh, Father, if it be possible. Now, the issue is not in doubt. He will go to the cross and he will accomplish the salvation. There's, there's no doubt about that. But his, hum, his human nature is there and it kind of says, it, it does what we would do uh, as men, as human beings. So you see, Christ is a man and he reacts as a man. And, and, and this is a, a, a wonderful truth, a wonderful proof that he is the saviour we need. Because an angel cannot save us. An angel cannot uh, pay the debt. Not any more than, than a lamb. It has to be a man a man without sin. So here we have a man is equipped for the work of salvation. He's God, but he's also fully man with all the reactions. And here, in this passage, faced with a multitude turning away from him, he feels discouragement. Will you also go away? Can you feel it? He's discouraged. That is not a weakness. This is just faced with people turning away and you've known it and I've known it. We feel discouraged. People come to church, um, come to the, our meetings uh, for several weeks, maybe months, and then they, they don't come no more. Well, you're not, you're not honest if you say, I, I, I feel bad. I, I don't feel bad about it. You're not. Oh, maybe there's something wrong with you. No, we feel discouraged. And to see Jesus being discouraged, that is not saying that he's not perfect. No, no, he's human, my friends. And this is a great encouragement for us. We can go through discouragement like he has done. And this is Jesus and he turns to, his, to the twelve, it is said. And he says, will you go also away? I mean, is there going to be nobody left with me? How many times I've said that? And Elijah, and so on, and, you know, the syndrome of Elijah, people say. Well, that is something we go through. I'm the only one. And then the Lord shows you, no, not at all. There are people much better than you. But they're hidden. They're here, there, and everywhere. And this is why it's such a, 
uh, a great encouragement to be with brethren uh, especially when you know we go through times when we're very much on our own so the discouragement of Jesus here shows us something wonderful that he is a true saviour he's a real saviour but he goes through discouragement and it is at this point that there is a, a divine exchange because he says he turns to the twelve will you also go away and Peter steps forward and this time Peter doesn't have to put his foot in his mouth you know <laughs> he says to whom shall we go but it is not Peter speaking my friends it's his mouth yeah but this is the father speaking to the son and this is why I say it's a, a divine uh, exchange wonderful confession but this is the father who comes to uphold his son at a time when the flesh becomes so heavy and how does he do it? he does it by showing what, the work, what is the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of his people all by virtue of what Christ is going to do here long on the cross but the, 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 the work of salvation is already started of course and what does Peter say? what does the Father say? To whom shall we go? This is beautiful. But I wonder if we're, if we're too familiar with, with it. We look at it in a, a religious way. To whom shall we go? The first thing it shows us is that this is not flesh and blood. Why? Because when there's a problem in the church, outside the church, among men, when there is a problem, what is a question? Or what are the questions? It's never in terms of whom. But what shall we do? How shall we do it? And so on. But here Peter, it's not flesh and blood, it's the spirit. To whom shall we go? You see, salvation is not uh, strategies. It's not what we should do, how we do it, and so on. It's whom the Lord has sent. And this is so foundational. To whom shall we go you see my friends you may be in the church you may uh, think you're saved but if it's because you've done something because of this or that then ask yourself the questions do I know him it is a person doctrines has its place organization has its place we need to meet we need an hour to meet a place to meet and so on but salvation is a person and it goes much beyond whatever man can invent or concoct. And the father is here saying to the son, through the mouth of Peter, do not be discouraged. Do not let the flesh take over. Yes, you need to go on. Uh, you are on the right track. Now remember, Jesus is on the earth. He is a man, fully man. It is a lonely path. And those who follow the Lord know that it is a lonely path. And you see the road which leads into uh, damnation and eternal ruin. You see it from the lonely path. And it's full of people. And it's easy. But no, it is a lonely path. Yes, all the, uh, the, the multitudes turn away from you do not look at them do not look at them they don't count 
You are the one I have sent. And I have sent you for a mission. And until that mission is done, you are the one who counts. All the eyes of the Father, all the eyes of the Trinity, if we may speak this way, are focused on that cross. And Christ is going to the cross. And if there's no cross, if he doesn't get to the cross, what? It's not just that, oh well, um, salvation is not possible. No, the integrity of God himself, the God of the covenant, is done. Is done with. Doesn't exist no more. Why? Because God is the God of the covenant. There are promises. If the promises don't come to pass, what? And this, is, this was the, uh, the argument from, Peter, from uh, Moses. You know, if you, if you let these people die in the wilderness, the, the, the Egyptians would say, what kind of God, God is this? They, they knew the sort of God like this, you see. No, you're on the right track. My eyes are on you, my son. I have sent you. And look, you're not alone. You're alone for the work, but you're not left alone. Look, how can Peter answer the way he does? This is not flesh and blood. This is a spirit speaking in him. So the spirit is with you. See, how can the, the twelve stay there? How, how can they not go with the, with the, with the multitude? Are they better than, than the multitude? Are they better than the other disciples? No, they are not, my friends. And we know through the gospel accounts that actually they are not. You remember, uh, was it John and James? This, uh, well, all of them actually discussing which one was the greatest among them. And they're going to Jerusalem. So they know better. No, what makes a difference? The work of God in the heart here. So this is how the father encourages his son. To whom shall we go? See, the Holy Spirit has sealed these. And uh, the question we can ask ourselves is that if Jesus were, was a failure, let's imagine, if Jesus were a failure, to whom would you go? Now if you answer with anything, even ever such a little thing, my friends, tremble. Tremble. Because salvation is not accomplished that way and that is destroying the integrity of Christ. So it is Christ, Christ alone. And uh, if you uh, see that this, this, uh, this Jesus, I'm not too sure about it, well, come to him. There's no one else to go to. No one else. To whom shall we go? And you will remember the, uh, the three uh, Hebrews in front of the fiery furnace. <laughs> and, and the king said, well, okay, we know you're young. And uh, okay, you've not understood the, the, the game. Now, I give you a last chance. Now, when you hear the music or whatever sound it was, you bow down. And they say, oh, God is able to save us. To deliver us? But if not, then there's no way we can bow down to that statue. It's nothing. We, we've seen so much better. If, if God fails us, we've got no hope. To whom shall we go? But Peter continues, and the, uh, I need to hurry up. Uh, you have the words of eternal life. 
And uh, why do the apostles, the twelve, follow Jesus? And uh, it's not because of the miracles. It's not because of the, uh, the great things they see. It's not because he's got a charisma. Although he's got a lot of grace. But it's because he has the words of eternal life. Now this is very important. And this is very interesting. A great multitude has turned away from him just a minute ago. Why? Because he gave them some hard sayings, some hard words. Now the same words heard by a man is our hard words and we turn away from that. The same words heard by someone in whom the Spirit works are the words of eternal life. But not only that. It's not just a word. We'll take the Bible. I'll read the Bible. And that, that, that will bring me eternal life. No. Here it is a question of the word that is proclaimed. The word that is uh, announced. Declared. It's not just a word. It's the word that is passed on. The word that is preached. You have the words of eternal life. You see, the day before, these 5,000 men plus ate the bread, saw the miracles, ate the miracles, and they're digesting the miracles. Now, has that done them any good? No. No. That has kept them from fainting in the, in the, in the other side of the lake. But that's about it. No faith. Nothing. And now they turn away from him. You see, that was a great miracle. And salvation is a greater miracle. But it doesn't come by miracles. It comes by the one to whom the miracles point. Even Jesus Christ, the bread of life. And it is the power of God. It's not just a word and you read it in a uh, superstitious way and it it might touch you or you might understand it. It's not something you know about Jesus. As Peter says just after, he says, and we have come to believe and know that you are the Son, that you are the Christ, the Son of God. There's plenty to say about this. But you see, he doesn't know about Jesus or about the Son of God. But he knows the Son of God. And Peter and the others, with all their failures, with all their mistakes, and they are plenty. He knows why, because the Father has revealed it. And that revelation is the power of God. And here Peter uses a different word. The words of eternal life. A word which is uh, the power of God, which is a revelation of God. It's given. And this is why the uh, apostles, the, the twelve are staying with Jesus you see, they've been taken hold of by this power saved but we need to be careful we need to be careful because we may say oh, because I'm in the right place because I hear the right person because we, we, we can say amen to a lot of things which are said during the message we're okay but you notice how John uh, and John doesn't write uh, kind of cheap like people write today um, in those days it was quite a job to write and he, he writes that Jesus turns to the twelve 
But among these twelve, my friends, and look at the last verse, he spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. So even our standing, even our, uh, our faithfulness, quote-unquote, is not a matter of salvation and being proud of it and trying to hold on to it. Yes, faithfulness is a good thing, but that is given. That is the life of salvation, because one here in that crowd has stayed, but he is not with the others. He doesn't know. See, Now, Judas was not different from the others by himself. You know, you remember the time when Jesus, uh, at the Last Supper, he says, one of you will betray me. And none of the apostles, none of the others say, turn to Judas, oh, I thought so, there's something weird about this guy. <laughs> no, they didn't know. Actually, there's something even more beautiful, and this is the real life of the Spirit, my friends. The eleven disciples around that table that day, they hear that one of them will betray them, betray the Lord. And in their minds, there's only one person who is capable of betraying the Lord. Do you remember? Is it I? Is it I? That is the life of the Spirit. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The words that make live, that bubble into everlasting life. May the Lord be gracious with us. Amen.